from KDNK Community Access Radio in Carbondale, Colorado, in the United States. This is program number 35 of the Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. When blind people go places, we don't experience things like our sighted friends. We don't see beautiful mountains or romantic sunsets. The goal of this program is to identify and even to create experiences that are more meaningful or just more fun for us and our sighted traveling companions. Frequently, as people lose their sight, they become more and more isolated. The Tactile Traveler hopes to empower people not only to go literally around the world, but around the block to new adventures in their lives. Line ranges from people who are visually impaired, and glasses and contact lenses no longer allow them to lead a normal life to people like me, who are totally blind. To sighted parents with a blind child, blind parents with sighted children, and blind parents with blind children, and people of all ages, interests, and physical abilities. On today's program, we're going to look at how sighted people began the hard process of what has become the Americans with Disabilities Act and how it helps us in ways to find your way back to things like elevators in hotels and seats in theaters, restaurants, auditoriums, and stadiums. It doesn't matter what people think about you or your disability. You do you. Remember to always use your voice. You are amazing. Let's give it up for Mia. A woman takes the microphone at a 30-second celebration of the Americans with Disabilities Act in my home of Glenwood Springs, Colorado, and its effects in foreign countries in many parts of the world. From buses and trains that announce where they're going so that we can get on the right one and the next stop so we know where to get off. To paratransit and curb cuts, to screen and stage descriptions at movies and theaters. All these things that help us in everything we do aren't the original results of blind civil rights activists. They're the results of people in wheelchairs, sighted people with foresight who were trapped in nursing homes because they couldn't afford the only way for them to go shopping, to school, work, church, or anywhere to have fun and do any of the same things ambulatory people do easily because of the high price charged by private transportation companies. For $30 per ride one way. There could be four people in it, but those four people would still be charged 30 bucks a piece, even though they were going to the same destination. To show how ungodly expensive $30 was to go somewhere in 1978 in today's dollars, it would be about $136. Bryn and Brian McLeod 
are the only living members of the Gang of 19. The people who changed how we live now. Well, the Gang of 19 started out as a group of people who came out of nursing homes. And when we got them out of the nursing homes, we discovered that it was very difficult for people to get around and lead a normal life. The bus system there in Denver was not wheelchair so that became the issue. The Gang of 19 was a group of disabled people who decided to change the world by making or attempting to make transportation accessible to all disabled people. It started out by blocking the buses on Colfax and Broadway and Denver, made this intersection there, and then talking to RTD, the transportation company, and explaining what the issue was. And in turn, while we were explaining to them what the issue was, we were also making the public aware of what an issue was for people. Colfax and Broadway is one of the busiest intersections in Denver. It's the home of the Colorado State Capitol Building. It has a very busy bus stop next to the Capitol on Colfax Avenue where the Gang of 19 blocked the buses. There were four people, generally, two in the front and two in the back of the bus, on the sidewalk or in the street. They would block on either corner of the bus on the front and the back. So the bus could move. People not only blocked the bus with their wheelchairs, they also got out of their wheelchairs and lay down on the ground. The police kind of went crazy. They didn't know what to do with us because they'd never dealt with, with people in wheelchairs before. So what they did was when the time came, they arrested all of the able-bodied people because they could deal with the able-bodied people. They didn't know what to do with us. So they arrested the able-bodied volunteers and charged them with disturbing the peace, a misdemeanor. When they went to court, the Gang of 19 also showed up and said they weren't being treated equally under the law because they hadn't been arrested too. The judge dismissed all of the charges. They weren't protesting out of the blue. They had been trying to get the Regional Transportation District to make all of the buses wheelchair accessible for a long time. So finally, out of desperation, they literally took to the streets. We want to ride! We want to ride! If we could stop one bus at a, at a bus stop, and then the next bus would come up behind it and try to go around it, and we would stop that bus and have the whole street blocked off. I couldn't believe that they were really that stupid. By the time it was over, we had blocked Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington. For the first day, was a shock for people. The second day, people, the longer we were there, the more people started asking questions about why we were there. And uh, it was a process of educating the public to the issue. Since, since people in wheelchairs or disabled people in general really aren't thought of, or concern for them is a whole new thing for the public to deal with. They not only were reaching people going by day and night, they were reaching people around the world. It was a gift to the media. July 4th is a slow news week in most places, including Denver. A lot of government agencies, from Congress to local city governments, normally the greatest sources of news, are not in session 
or working with a limited staff, not generating news. You have this super visual, heart-wrenching, easy-to-cover story within a five-minute drive of all the television stations in Denver. It was easy to cover because it was all in one place. It was continuous, so reporters didn't have to worry about missing it, like a scheduled event like a press conference or murders and accidents, which are normally cleaned up within a couple of hours. All they had to do was interview a protester lying in the street blocking a bus, a cop, a bystander, and a trapped, bewildered bus driver. And you've got your story. If you can get pictures of people being arrested, it's even better. Then you go back again for your next newscast. It was equally easy for radio and newspaper reporters. The demonstration was ultimately unbelievably successful. It was the beginning of the Americans with Disabilities Act. It made civil rights for people with disabilities a thing. And it even had romance. Remember, it was a bus stop. And Bren was waiting for a bus at the bus stop when Brian recognized her. We had gone to the same high school. We kind of knew each other. He is five years older than I am. We didn't really run in the same circle at that time. We knew each other existed. It was on my way to a job interview. As soon as he recognized her, he said, Come over here. You need to be a part of this. And I missed the job interview, but I didn't care at that time. I was just waiting for the bus. At that point, she was with the rock. She was using the cane. Yeah. She, she could climb on the bus, but it was just difficult. The rest is history both through the McLeods and all of us. After RTD agreed to negotiate with the Gang of 19, they still had to sue them twice. That's the case because they said the technology wasn't available. A few years later, there was technology, and then we had to resue, force RTD, put those on the bus. In addition to fighting for wheelchair lifts on RTD buses, the Gang of 19 expanded their fight to all buses everywhere. The buses uh, throughout the, the nation, so they had their convention, and we would go to the convention and stop their convention. Eventually, people started catching on, and then with the ADA coming up, idea of transportation put into the ADA. Brian said that people with all kinds of disabilities have much more than just the ability to use public transportation. They're a voting block that's taken seriously. And we need to understand all of our rights under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Basically, our rights are to be have the same opportunity anyone else does. And that, for people with disabilities, might mean reasonable modifications to policies, or sometimes they're, they're called reasonable accommodations. Julie Riskin is the co-executive director of the Colorado Cross Disabilities Coalition, an advocacy association for people with all kinds of disabilities. And she's an expert on the Americans with Disabilities Act. So, for example, if you're reserving a hotel room, for someone who uses a wheelchair, that might mean let us reserve the rooms that are made for people in wheelchairs and don't give those away to people who don't need them. And you can't charge more for, like if it's a room with one bed, you can't charge more because it's the accessible room. For someone who's blind, that might mean that information about the hotel is accessible and that you can make an online reservation just like anyone else and get those discounts you might get from using it online reservation system. 
um, in public transportation, that means that we all get to use the public transportation. Um, again, if there's a hotel shuttle, they need to have uh, one with a wheelchair lift or at least contracts with someone who can provide that same level of service. Uh, nothing says they have to have a hotel shuttle, but if they have one, it has to be for everyone. Um, for in a, in a transit, public transportation, that means that they have to have a system to announce the stop so people know where they're going. It means they have to have accessible wayfinding opportunities in places like airports. Guide dogs go anywhere a person can go except a place that has to be super sterile, like inside an operating room. The guide dogs can go any, you know, they can go on a plane, on a bus, in a hotel, anywhere, and that you cannot surcharge. So you cannot be charged like a pet fee to bring a guide dog in a hotel, for example. Now, you are responsible for that guide dog. So, but guide dogs are usually very well trained. So um, now the regulations for web accessibility are still not really, you know, they're, they're still in development, but the, the ADA is clear that all goods and services have to be accessible to people with all types of disabilities. So blind people use technology called screen readers where, and I, I can't explain how the technology works, but the computer reads what's on there to the person. And if it's not set up right from the back end, it doesn't make any sense to the to the blind person. So, for example, if there's a bunch of logos, but there's not a tag for the, that says what the text is, it's just going to be gobbledygook. If there's a PDF that's flattened, it's just a picture of the PDF, not actually the words, it's going to come across as just blank. So you have to set up your website properly to be able to have that information make sense to someone using a screen reader. It took 22 years between the time the Gang of 19 let the world know that people in wheelchairs were trapped in their home and nursing homes until the Americans with Disabilities Act finally became law. It was a long fight. It was worth it. And if I was younger, I'd do it all again. I was on the RTD bus, and a younger gentleman in a chair got on, and he was uh, smiling and very happy. And I said, well, why, why are you so happy? And he said, this is the first time I've ever had an opportunity to go anywhere without the assistance of my mother to have this level of independence. Bryn's name at the time of the demonstrations was Renato Raby. And Brian's was Bob Conrad, Don Russell, Joe Beaver, Tiffany Penzelis, Debbie O'Leary, and Sarah Williams helped with this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Finding your hotel room from an elevator or going back to the elevator from your hotel room can be a hassle if you're blind or have low vision. So can finding your seat in a theater, convention center, movie, stadium, or arena. If you've left it to find a restroom, drinking fountain, or get some food. But it can be a lot easier with the use of two different technologies an app called Clue, and a gadget called Apple AirTags, both designed for Apple devices. Clue is a free indoor navigation tracing app built for blind and visually impaired users. It's designed to remember a location, like a seat in a room, 
and assist you to return to it after leaving it. For example, you're in a hotel, and you're having a hard time finding your hotel room from the elevators, or getting back to the elevators from the room. When you're going to the hotel room for the first time after getting off the elevator, push the record button and hold your iPhone in front of you like you're shooting a video of the trip to your room. The first time you would have somebody guide you to your room, but then once you've done the recording one time, it could be saved in your phone and then you could record it. So you could navigate it again in the future. So you could select it from your list of routes and hit go and then it'll be able to take you back to the elevator and and from the elevator back to your room that's paul revillo associate professor of computer science olin college of engineering near boston massachusetts through my my research group uh, and all the design work is done in collaboration with the community as you shoot video the app recognizes landmarks like corners and doorways and stores them as still frames instead of the entire video. Then when you make another trip, you hold your phone in front of you and the app finds the landmarks and uses them to guide you back to where you started from. At the moment, Clue only works well inside buildings with consistent light. I really like using Clue, but the way that I use it is to navigate through places that I'm not familiar with. Finding one place to another, you know, from point A to B and returning back. I like that because it stores all of your steps that you've taken and the pathway that you walk. Cassandra Xavier isn't an Olin student. She teaches blind seniors technology, and she's a Clue co-designer, helping Professor Ravulo's team design Clue from a blind person's perspective. I was teaching assistive technology to seniors who was experiencing blindness, and they also wanted to be able to have confidence with going around places indoors and I introduced them to Clue, and they really liked it. And so I used a gym inside of the senior center to practice getting oriented to Clue. It was primarily seniors with all levels of vision loss. At first, they were nervous, which is the nervousness was because they were in fear of bumping into objects. And so I used the gym space and I told them it was an open space. They were able to use that whole space to practice using Clue. And so that would like eliminate the fear of bumping into anything because some of the students or most of the students who asked me to train them on Clue were totally blind and they could make as many mistakes because that was the other thing they were afraid of. They were afraid of doing something wrong when there really wasn't anything wrong to be done. So I wanted to help them, you know, get rid of that fear of, oh my gosh, I messed it up now. An easy way to get disoriented if you're blind is to walk across open spaces like parking lots and lawns and open spaces indoors like lobbies and buildings and gymnasiums because you have no landmarks. Cassandra says Clue is easy to use for people with even no experience using technology. The other technology is Apple AirTag. They're not designed for the way we use them. 
There are little transmitters about the size of a thick quarter, designed to help you find things like your keys, purse, and backpack. For example, you attach one to your keys, and if you can't remember where you put them, you use your iPhone to direct you to them. But when you're blind, you can use them to guide you to the same kind of places that you can use Clue for. Gary Wonder, editor of the Braille Monitor, is totally blind, and he travels a lot. You know, this is very helpful, for instance, if you're in a long banquet presentation and you don't want to bother lots of people by asking directions, but you uh, want to go to the restroom or you need to go out and get some water or something. And the question is, how do I find my way back when there are a hundred tables without having to ask somebody, what table is this? And they say, it's 16. What table is this? It's 37. Well, I wanted 26. Now, which way do I go? So the AirTag won't help me navigate around things. The cane has to do that. But the AirTag will tell me 40 feet to your left, 32 feet straight ahead, 16 feet, 10 feet, 5 feet, and then I'm there. One of the problems of using AirTags is that someone could think you left it on the table and pick it up. I usually have it in a bag or something, but I could put it on the table. I could leave it on my, on my chair, under my chair. Part of my fear with doing that, of course, is that somebody's going to think that I left it and pick it up, and then I'll be chasing them rather than my chair. So I usually have it in some kind of a handbag or something, a backpack. The easiest way to solve that problem is to leave it with a table mate. Gary, like sighted people, uses it to find his luggage, but not quite in the same way. And most people use them in their luggage. So when I travel, I can go to the carousel, and it used to be that I would bend over the carousel, squat down, and I would feel every piece of luggage that went by until one looked like mine. And then I would grab it long enough to see if it really was mine. And if it was, I would take it off the carousel. And if it wasn't, I would listen to people yell, sir, I think that's mine. <laughs> you know. <laughs> now I stand upright and I use the locator and it will say luggage 40 feet, 30 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet. And at that point, I start bending over and looking for the specific piece of luggage because I don't want to let it go by. If it goes by, of course, then it does the same thing, 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, and I just have to wait for it to come back around. Since the air tags themselves are small, they can fall out of things. To solve that problem, lots of air tag cases are available from $8 to more than $600 from Gucci. Don't do the stupid thing that I did. They're so very small that you really need to put them into some kind of a zipper pouch. I used to just throw them in my bag, and one day I put my sweat pads back in the bag without ever realizing that I had knocked out the luggage locator. I get home, and all of a sudden it tells me, your suitcase is 36 miles away. And I'm thinking, no, it's not. And I realized that my air tag is 36 miles away. So wanting my air tag back, I call the hotel and they send somebody and they say they don't find anything. And my air tag signals to me once in a while. I'm still 36 miles away. I'm 38 miles away. Well, that means they've taken it off to the trash and eventually it doesn't signal anymore. 
Apple AirTags are available pretty much wherever you can buy Apple products or accessories. One sells for $29 and $99 for a four-pack. Lorraine Hutchinson and Gary Wonder suggested this story. You're listening to The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. I'm Nick Eisenberg. Why is my talking scale? telling us that we'd like you to weigh in on how we're doing. Please let us know by sending an email to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. We spell traveler the American way with one L. We'd also like to hear your story ideas from all over the world. Please send us an email with story ideas in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. If you'd like to help underwrite this program, please send us an email with underwriting in the subject line to the tactile traveler at gmail.com. Transcripts of this program are also available for our deaf listeners by searching the tactile traveler in any search engine. This program is also being broadcast on the Audio Information Network of Colorado and in additional states. It's also available by typing the Tactile Traveler into any search engine. We'd like to thank the following people who made today's program possible. Be My Eyes, Microsoft Disabilities Tech Support. Apple Accessibility Tech Support. Leslie Steffens. Lorraine Hutchinson. Pat Connero, Debbie O'Leary, Sarah Williams, Sophia Williams, Kaylee Romero, and Wally Burley. This has been The Tactile Traveler, empowering blind and low-vision people to explore the world and helping our sighted friends see the world in a new way. This has been a production of KDNK Community Access Radio, Carbondale, Colorado.